It's time for pumpkin flavors and new fall favorites at Dunkin'. And also some tough decisions. Like, do I want a signature pumpkin spice ice latte? A brand new oat milk latte? A new chai latte? Or a pumpkin iced coffee? Oh, and the bakery. Do I want a pumpkin donut or... Uh, there are other people behind you in this drive-thru. Oh, uh, I'll just take it all. Okay. It's all the cozy you crave at Dunkin'. Pumpkin favorites and new fall additions. Like new creamy without the dairy oat milk lattes and the signature pumpkin spice ice latte plus more. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Okay. Hello and welcome again to another episode of Aaron Joe, the podcast for blind persons where we talk about issues in the blindness community and all over the world. Yesterday I had a great interview with a woman from Jamaica who told us all about her life and all the interesting things she's doing. And we're so glad you enjoyed that. But today we're very honored that a great friend of mine and a great friend of us all Mr. Menachem is on Aaron's show podcast. And I heard a rumor that you want to talk about some lessons in history that you want the world to learn from. So why don't you tell us what's the first lesson in history? And then I'll certainly talk about it and give my commentary. Go. You're on the podcast. All right. Thank you, Aaron, for having me on this podcast. I really appreciate it. Some of the lessons that I want to talk about are things that people overlook sometimes that most people take history for granted. They think it's, oh, it's a good story. You know, let me read about it. And then it just becomes like, oh, no, nothing happened of it. Like they, they'll take the story of King Arthur. They'll make myths of it with dragons and twist it around. What I want to talk about is more, what could you learn from it? And the side effects that if you don't learn from history, how it will repeat itself. And I, I'll, I'll give you an example. World War One. There was a huge battle. Everyone took sides and the war ended. What happened? They signed the Treaty of Versailles. They made it basically impossible for the defeated teams in the war to basically have a normal life. And then they, they let them slowly start taking over. And before they knew it, it got out of hand and there was World War II. So that, that's what history we learn in school. Now, what people don't realize is that's happening nowadays in Europe again. Just it's not Germany. It's not, you know, Russia or Italy or Japan taking over. It's Muslims, and I, I'm not trying to get all political and everything like that, but the world has a way of forgetting what the consequences of actions, people's actions could have. And the fact that you let people just walk in and start doing what they want without really showing resistance, it's very easy that it could fall back into what happened during World War II. So that, that's one of the many, you know, lessons you can learn from history. And, I mean, me personally, I always try to learn everything I can from history because chances are nothing's new under the sun, as King Solomon said. Everything that happens to somebody in the world, everything that, you know, somebody thinks they invented something new, 
it's been done in the world before. And I guarantee if you're having trouble or something like that, just open a history book. Somebody's dealt with it before, and you can find the lessons that worked for them and prevent it from happening. And I could go on and on, but I thought I'd ask you, Aaron, what you think about that. Menachem, thank you for coming on to Aaron's show today. We're glad to have you. That was, I, I have to tell you, man, for the first time coming on to someone's podcast, that was a magnificent monologue. That was perfect. And I really appreciate the way that you dealt with the issue that's going on in France right now with, with the Muslim people who are French, the French Muslims. You dealt with it in, a, in an appropriate way. And, and it is, and to some extent, in our opinion, or at least in my opinion, it could be, it can be true. Now, let's go back in history and talk about something else. There is a common story that you read in school, especially in 10th grade, or, or, if, you were, or if you were me, if you're Aaron, you, you didn't pay attention, so you tried not to read it. But yes, we go through King Arthur. And King Arthur is an interesting story to read. Now, in my opinion, King Arthur is a, actually a fictitious character. King Arthur is not real. But it is an important story, and it's an important story because it teaches us about how society was in the Middle Ages, in the medieval, in the medieval days. Um, and it teaches us the concept, and ba basically it teaches that society has an order, has an order to things. That at the top of a certain society, you see, you see the king, and then under, under the king you had knights, and then under the knights... You had a whole a whole social system, a whole society of ranking the person based on their their value to, in in the medieval society of the day. It must have been a lot of fun back then, and it must have been incredibly unpleasant at times in the twelve and thirteen hundreds. But I guarantee, man, there must have been some times where it must have been really nice to go sit outside, you know, and have a beer and have a nice dinner outside with the nature. That must have, I wonder if people did that back then. That must have been incredibly beautiful back then. And it was also incredibly saddening back then, I'm also sure. So, <clears throat> you know, what, what, we learn, what we learn from history is, is two things. Um, we, we learn that history is valuable, you know, to me because I always love it. I love talking about history. I love talking about the past and things like that. And I, I too, am concerned because we see that history is repeating itself again. Now, what you said about Europe is is somewhat true to an extent. Um, the situation in Europe is a lot of different things are going on. No, number one, you have to break down all of the different problems that the United Kingdom is having at the moment. Uh, the United Kingdom is going through a period of extreme political strife and an extreme political tension in regards to the fact of Brexit and that these these politicians and the the, the British people, the British citizens are completely overwhelmed and burdened and harassed by the issue of what to do with the fact that should the UK leave the European Union. In my opinion, I thought it was good because I'm someone, you know, Menachem, we've talked about this before, you know, in years past in person and, and all, all throughout the time we've known each other, but I've never said this on the air, that, you know, I've never been a big supporter of the European Union. Um, and I've never been a big supporter, mainly because I think the European Union does not work. And mainly because I, in my opinion, I feel that the European Union actively discriminates against American citizens and against people of great value who would be, who would bring a great economic and a prosperous value to the Union. So, 
I, I had no hurt feelings when, when Brexit came about. Okay. Now, the other thing that you need to understand, listener, and, and you too, in, in, in a sense, about what you said about France is here's, here's, the, here's the situation with France. Okay. Now, this is coming from me. Now, I, I, I speak French, listener, as everybody knows, and I've been to France twice, and I'm probably going to go back next year with my father and maybe some friends. Um, France is an incredibly troubling society, okay? One, now, we can go, now, let's go back in history. First of all, where, why are there, why, why were there and why are there, or why is there a Muslim community in France? Well, I'll tell you. Because in the 17 and 1800s, France colonized a lot of countries in Northern Africa who just so happened to be Muslim. That's not the problem. The problem is, is that because of the fact that it is easy to get to France and because France has a relatively um, easy system to get into from the perspective of a tourist, that in, in my opinion, I think that France is a country that is um, easier for people with malicious intentions and criminals and terrorists to, to get into, that France has a lot of problems. France has a criminal problem, okay? There's a lot of criminals in France. France has a economic problem. The economy is not very good. And France has a terrorism problem because France has been a victim of terrorism. So really what France needs to do is they need to figure out who all the terrorists are and throw them out or throw them in prison. Um, but that, you know, vetting people at this point is, seems to be a very difficult task. Um, and I, for one and one for all, have no idea if France will ever be able to overcome it. I suspect that they will not because there's been a lot of complaints about the current government in France, and all of the different um, corrupt politicians and all of the problems that France is, is going through right now. So yes, Menachem, you, what, what you said about France is somewhat true to an extent, but also as someone who speaks French and as someone who's been there several times, I, I kind of get it and I kind of understand why the country is so messed up. But France is a mess. Um, and I, I suspect that France will continue to get worse. And I think that some of these countries in Europe are going to, you know, have um, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of problems. And France will be uh, basically one of the one of the criminal countries in France, and one of the criminal countries in Europe, unfortunately. So, I mean, there are there's a lot of criminals. In fact, on my last trip, I was um, I was almost I was robbed. By the way, on my last trip, a thief grabbed me when I was walking in the street. I was walking in a tourist neighborhood, and a thief grabbed me, and I yelled at him in French, and he, and he darted off. So. Yeah, there's a lot of problems with petty crime, um, and then there's problems with terrorism and, and jobs and things like that. It's a, France, is, France is an interesting country, and it also has um, a lot to offer, and it has a lot of things that need, need to be fixed. So that, that's what's going on there with, with that society. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I agree with you a lot on that. I mean, the one thing I'll say about France and, and Europe in general is that over time, Europe has, I, I always like to think of Europe as the United States that never happened, that all the countries in Europe follow each other and all are always together, and if something happens to one of them, it happens to all of them in the end. Like, there's no real, like, in, in America, Canada, like, if Canada accepts a bunch of things, refugees, like, America's not going to, that's not going to happen to America. 
Whereas in like Europe, France starts, and then before you know it, Belgium starts, and then you got Germany, and it, it it's like a whole mishmash of random countries that want to be together but want to be separate. And and I feel that that's their problem that they can't. Every time they try to overcome it, they're like, but but Germany's doing this, and we want to be sort of like a brotherhood. And I think that's a big problem with England, is England is realizing that if we keep trying to be like a little brotherhood, we're going to sink with the ship. Right. We have exactly. to have our own, you know, country, own thing going on. And, I mean, they did that the, the same thing with Palestine after World War Two. They saw that, and I'm not trying to be political or anything with the whole, you that's know, Jewish okay. state. But what happened is they saw the Arab and the Jews, the tension was rising between them. They started to attack each other. And Britain's like, listen, either we could be in the middle of this and it's not going to look good for us and it'll hurt our image and everything. Or we could, you know, just pretty much leave and let them fight it out, which is what they did in the end. Ultimately, yes, exactly. Which, which I agree with 100%, because it, it's, not, it's not your fight. And you can, you can only do so much. So, I mean, that, that, that's what I feel like Europe needs to do. They need to decide that this is, you know, who they're going to be, what they're going to do, and stuff like that. Because if they continue doing what they're doing now, it's, it's just it, they're going to fall apart. So they, 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 they indeed, indeed. Or if they continue down this path, they're going to completely fall apart. Well, I, I think what you said is, is is true, that in Europe, the purpose of the union was to basically create a United States of Europe. But really, it didn't it didn't really happen, because what happens in Europe is that you grow up in one country, you end up speaking your local language and you just you know, every country in Europe is very different. I mean, most of the countries in the western part of Europe are similar. And most of the countries in the eastern side, you know, are similar. But I would say as as a whole, I would say that the, the situation in countries in Europe, uh, you know, is different, you know, from from country to country. So, you know, it it's it, yeah, the, the European Union never, never really worked. And, and apparently it really cannot work because if it was such a good idea. Uh, the strongest country like the United Kingdom would have wanted it to stay together and would have wanted to to remain a member of, of the EU. And the fact that the UK left in the Brexit proves to us or should prove to us that the European Union is not a good idea anymore. Right. But also, it, it's also the sense of that they... I, I, I don't know what... Uh, I lost my train of thought for a second, but they, they don't... They, they they all speak to so it, it's interesting that you know as you're saying like it's a brother it, it's they want to be like that and a lot of people I meet that grew up in Europe whether it be from Belgium France you know Spain they all speak the other languages of the countries around them they right. don't just speak like you know German they speak German they speak French they speak speak Dutch you know like it, it, it's it, 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 and that's why I say it's like it, it's weird 
and they they don't necessarily got to stop speaking like six different languages, but they, they got to like put up some barriers or right. Gonna... So what exactly? And 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 what you're noticing is that the people in Europe have to sp you have to speak several languages in Europe because there's all these different linguistic groups. It's a very good observation. Exactly. Right. Right. So, but since I speak French, I, I speak French everywhere in Europe. I don't care if the other person can't speak French. I, I want, I want to speak French as much as I can all over, all over La Francophonie, all over the world. So I speak French as much as possible. When I, when I went to Italy, Italy for one day, I went to a city called Ventimiglia and I spoke French there and everybody there in Ventimiglia can speak French. So because of that, so I didn't have to speak Italiano. I could just speak French in, in that city, in Ventimiglia. And uh, it was it was very nice. And so, you know, you, you do kind of have a barrier. And basically, uh, ultimately today in Europe, if you cannot speak English, you are not going to get a good job. So I think as time goes on, I think we'll notice that there's a lot less of these barriers and that either you're going to speak English or probably French. But if you can't speak either of those, then, you know, either of those languages, then you're going to have some difficulties, you know, with employment and things. Yeah. Right. I, I understand that. And, you know, I, you, you mentioned a little be, before about, you know, the King Arthur and the the chivalry and all that stuff and how it was good and it was bad. I want to touch more along those lines because the, the whole the whole thing of King Arthur was is set around the fall of Rome. Right. Parents of the Ninth Legion and uh, or and all that stuff. I mean, the, the main thing from King Arthur, what they were what they were trying to grasp at, was the whole thing of that. You know, you don't need to be born of nobility to be a knight. To right. be yeah, to be that. To be, indeed, indeed. Just uh, oh, oh, yes. And a slight a slight correction. You do not need to be born of nobil nobility. Nobility right, for the nobility. podcast. Nobility, yes. Right. You you just need to be a good person. That's where the whole knight's code came from, you know. Right. Exactly. Respect, exactly. honor, stuff like that. And it, I th I think that's how it, it went from whether King Arthur was you know a real king or not. The story got into a, a pattern of just people needed something to hang on to because of what was happening in the world around them. Right. And I, I think the reason why that story is so is told so many times in schools is because people are still nowadays trying to grasp onto something because they they, they can't find it anywhere anywhere. But I'll, you know, I'll, I'll say this about history that I I heard it's 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 a very interesting question, and I ask people sometimes just to see the, their answer. It's the Dark Ages or the medieval times, whatever you want to, you know, whatever language you want to use to describe them, people say was a dark time, a time of, you know, where everything was just do whatever you want. There's no point in the world. The question, though, is were they really that dark or do perhaps today we live in the Dark Ages? It's an, it's an outstanding question. I think that. You know, of course, from the perspective of someone today, okay, we would say that their, that their time was the Dark Ages. Um, but who knows really what could have could have been like. As I said, 
back in those days, if you were the wealthy people back then, if you were an important person, your life was probably very beautiful at times. Um, as long as you don't get some disease during the winter and drop dead three days later, which happened constantly, uh, an enormous number of people would die very easily at, in those in those days. And yeah, and so that's that's definitely you know definitely a factor here. <clears throat> well, that's a factor, but also it it's the it's the tide of as you said, you know, life was simpler. You could go out and, you know, have a nice, like, picnic or just hang out with people. And you, you didn't have to worry. There, there was a I mean, I wonder. I, I, right. No, you're asking the right question. And I want. I, and here, here's what I here's what I hypothesize. I hypothesize that in medieval times. OK, people basically did the same things that we do today. You eat, you sleep, you work. So. People would not have used the same vocabulary back then to find a job or to find money or to find a, a, a living, a way to support yourself. But of course, they would have done so. So, you know, people would have interacted in, in, a, in a social setting back then, not doing the same things that we would do today, but they would have interacted. They would have done so. So, you know. I think I think it was quite if if it was possible to time travel and if we went back and talked to people back in those days, we would discover that yeah, there's some inconveniences back then, but as a whole, the life was quite similar actually. Um, right. You know, I think that now I don't know. You know, let's wait another fifty years. Let's wait all the way. Let's say fifty. Uh, let's go all the way up to twenty seventy. Um, that would be about 50 years from now. I mean, looking back, if we look back um, in 2070, I mean, I'm, I'm still going to be around in 2070, probably, almost certainly. So in 2070, we can, I can look back and say, well, I was alive in 2020. I mean, that's going to seem 2020 and tw in 2070, 2020 is going to seem like the dark ages. That's going to seem like the old days to someone in 2070. So it's all right. it's all really a, a matter of perspective and a, per, and a perception of time. But of course, back then in the medieval days, they weren't really concerned with the months of the year. They have evidence that they kept track of it, but actually what they kept track of more than the months, which they knew what, what the months and days were, especially the king and the nobility, but they really kept track of the crop cycles and when to plant things and when to harvest. That's what they were more concerned about in those days. Up until actually, up until very recently, they were mostly concerned with agriculture. Up until about the um, 1890s, they were mostly concerned with that, which is quite recently. Mm -hmm. Right. <clears throat> that that's true. That yeah. is true. Right. I mean, that's why I say, you know, as as I said in the beginning about history and learning from the lessons, it's it's a subject that I think is is overlooked a lot. And I think people just learn it because, like, oh, I want to learn my history. But I think that, you know, a lot of people, if they actually took time to look into it, they would see that a lot of stuff could be prevented if, you know, you just pay attention. Because they say a lot, you know, those who don't know their history are about to repeat it. And sadly, we see it a lot in the world that people don't, you know, pay attention. They think, like, okay, this happened, like, you know, move on and get over it and stuff like that. But they don't actually learn from it, right? That's you know, that's what I was saying when I say like I, I, I try to, you know, learn from history and stuff like that. I see. I see. 
So what are some other lessons? You've covered a lot of things in Europe, but what are some other things that you want people to learn from or some other societal observations that you're making? Do you mind giving me an example of what you mean? Well, what are some things you're noticing with the society and people today? You know, you um, do you want to tell our listeners about maybe some interesting people, interesting things that you see when you go to work, maybe some interesting things that you see in the place where you're living now? Do you want to tell our listeners about that? Oh, yeah. So so things I see about that, that I kind of think it well, that's not so much history related. That's more of just I feel a breakdown of society that people don't you know there's a whole thing that oh you can't be too harsh with people you can't say this you can't say that i think it it's it's a big problem because people don't know how to express themselves and once again i'm not trying to you know hurt anybody's feelings or anything like that but yeah, yeah. Th- there's just some times where you have to have a clear agenda of what is going on what's to be expected and you you have these people on, on both sides of of the spectrum. Like, I'll, I'll I'll give you an example of a big thing that's going on in the world now, the whole LGBT thing. You got people on one side, you know, saying like, "Oh, it's okay to express yourself," and then you got people on the other side saying like, "No, don't express yourself. You don't need to like show it to the world." And to me personally, I I don't care. People could could do what they want it's up to them but i feel that that the way it's being projected isn't the right way if you if you want to project something there's a certain way to do it a certain code that you should follow and i feel that that that's that's lost in the world people don't don't follow that anymore people just say okay i'm just going to do express myself forever i want and Everyone's got to deal with the consequences because this is who I am. But that's not that's not really how the world works. Okay. That, well, well, I think I think what you're noticing, I I I happen to agree with you, um, and I also do not care if someone is is in this in this group. I don't care about that. I I agree. People should just do what they want to do. But what I do agree with you on, and and what we both can kind of comment about it is that people today are not able to handle being rejected and that people are not able to handle interacting with someone who has a slightly different opinion from theirs, you know? So, you know, this is, that's, that's the problem. You can disagree with me on Aaron's show all you want. um, But if, but you have to disagree with me in, in a, in a normal and in a professional and, and respectful way. So right. this is this is oh I'm I'm you know speaking you know third person basically to to the listener and that that I'm noticing that this is becoming a bigger and bigger struggle that people cannot handle any rejection and that they cannot handle someone who has a slightly different perception of society. Well, well, I mean, I mean, Menachem, if you talk if you talk to me for literally thirty seconds, you're going to know that I have a very different perception of life and a very different perception of society, and that's okay. Because I'm able to handle getting people to, to, to disagree with me and I'm able to handle being discriminated against and defamed and all the things that have happened, you know, 
and I'm able to handle that. But other people just are not able to handle it. And I, that, that's the, the problem is that people are not able to handle it. People cannot handle being disagreed with, you know. I want to say it, it, it's, it's not I just use the LGBT it's a good as an example because that, that's the biggest thing. But it's also, you know, politics. Oh, you're right. Democrat, you're Republican. We can't be friends. Exactly. No, exactly. Friends, and it's exactly, and it's and it's complete, and it, and it's very nonsensical. And as you and I, I've told you this off the air, Menachem, that there are people today that I'm not able to have a relationship with because of my political party, and blah blah blah. And I think, and I think that's sad. I think that's really sad because our country, the United States, was formed upon the basis of democracy. And when you have right. a democracy, one of the consequences of a free country is that it's okay to be offended and that it's okay if someone doesn't love you or doesn't agree with everything that you say. That's okay. Because you know what? I'd rather I'd rather have a free country with people hating me. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's this is this is the society. There are people in, in society who I'm not I'm not able to have any any sense of a relationship with simply because of my my particular uh, affiliation. And I, I could care less what anyone else's affiliation is. Quite frankly, I think that both of the political parties in our country are basically a joke and that yeah. that they really don't take anything seriously and that nobody really cares anyway. So. I don't really understand why we have to get so upset since, in my opinion, I think that very few people actually care, you know, but that's this is just how people are in a modern democracy, I guess. And the only thing we can do is to have the humility and the courage to say, well, it's, it's unfortunate that that person acts like that. But I know that this is a side effect of a free country and I'm glad they don't agree with me. So something like that. Well, I'll tell you something interesting that I that I've personally found out. And some people might find this far-fetched, but that's for them to decide, is that most of my strong friendships that I have, I have a very strong friendship with all my friends, but the ones that really are strong and and close-knit are the ones where we have different views on stuff. Yeah. And that we're okay with disagreeing with each other. The fact that we know that I could tell him, you know, you know, I'm not a Hillary supporter. I like Trump. And he could tell me, well, I, I don't like Trump. I like Hillary. That that honesty and that ability to be able to disagree and talk about it in a normal way right. builds the friendship more. Yes. Instead of just being like, oh, I'm just going to agree with them because I think this is what they want to hear. No, people don't want to hear that. People want to hear honesty. They want to hear the truth. Yeah. The, tr- the truth isn't always easy. I'll, I'll I'll be the first to admit that, but it builds the friendship stronger, and I think that's what people don't understand. They just want to they they they're more prone. And I see it on both sides: Republican, Democrat, you know, LGBT, not LGBT, you know, just basic things like, oh, what type of ice cream do you like? They feel that if they agree with you, it's going to be a better friendship. And I was I'm I venture to say, eighty five percent of the time. The friendship ends up wavering. Right. Right.
Come stay and play at Live Casino and Hotel. Welcome to one of the biggest casinos in the country with luxurious clean rooms, upscale dining, and the grandest payouts. Now offering stay and play and all in packages, including $50 free slot play, VIP parking, VIP casino access, and more. Book now at livecasino.com or call 443-445-2929. At Arundel Mills, must be 21, please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgambling.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. Dunkin's new wake-up go-tos mean you never have to choose between breakfast meats again. Now you can get a wake-up wrap with bacon and a wake-up wrap with sausage for $3. That's savory and sweet, crispy and spicy. It's everything you love about breakfast for $3. Wake up your day with new wake-up go-tos. Get two egg and cheese wraps for $2 or mix and match your favorite meats with two bacon, ham, sausage, or turkey sausage wraps for $3. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Exclusions apply. Limited time offer.